right. Well, good evening to everyone that's watching by um, live stream. Good evening to everybody that's actually here. It's nice to have you. And uh, yeah, hope you're all doing well. And um, yeah, so I do need to uh, put out a prayer request. I haven't heard anything new yet. But Aaron Strobach believes that he has uh, either malaria or the, the dengue fever. And uh, he is uh, concerned about going in to get checked and treated because they might force him into quarantine, uh, which then he will be unable to go out and do his family shopping and things like that. So um, do be praying for Aaron and his family that God would, uh, um, well, that he would just heal them. And uh, could skip the doctors altogether. But uh, if God chooses to do it that way, we just pray that uh, the doctors would not overreact, uh, but they would treat him accordingly and that he could continue to minister to his family and also do the ministry that he's currently doing uh, there in Africa as they're trying to help people uh, as they face all of this. And uh, so be praying for them. Um, uh, I've spoken with Bethany, and uh, she is doing well. Um, I'm reluctant to say which city she's in, uh, but she could use our prayers. She, she's, for the most part, she's just waiting it out. She has a curfew and things like that. But the, the country is in, at war, and uh, she can hear the shelling off in the distance. Uh, the, the, the local airport was bombed by um, the rebels, uh, or whatever they are. I'm, I'm not sure that anybody's good in this particular conflict. Um, but anyway, she feels safe, and so that's a good thing, and we want to just keep praying for her. Uh, Pastor Marcos and Josie still have their curfews and their times that they can shop, and uh, so they too are just waiting this thing out. Be praying for them. Also, they are probably going to move the location of their church to, uh, I believe, closer to Alta Peru, where they, their hearts really are anyway. And so just be praying that God would direct their steps and that he would continue to take care of them where they're at. Uh, my understanding is that Peru is, is second only to Brazil as far as the number of uh, people infected and the people that have died. Um, so be praying for them. And um, yeah, I don't have anything else to add at this time. But I will have more information for everyone Sunday that uh, pertains to all of us at Calvary Chapel Centralia. And uh, I won't be giving that out tonight. I'm still waiting for some more information. But I will put that out Sunday uh, to the whole body. Uh, as, for, as far as tonight goes, we're going to finish Romans chapter 12. I know the goal was to go uh, one verse at a time. But uh, the last few verses of chapter 12, the same thought is woven through all of them. So I'm going to try to cover all of them tonight comprehensively. We'll see how that goes. Uh, for those of you that is, have memorized the text, we're going to have to try to figure out some uh, platform uh, for you to recite it. Maybe we could have all of you guys down here uh, on a Thursday night before we do our study and uh, just recite it and then maybe have a barbecue. And that's been the challenge on Thursday nights is that typically at six o'clock we have a meal together and then uh, I start teaching around 7.30, but we're not doing that right now. So every time I come to do the live stream, I'm starving. And uh, so I'm trying not to rush through the text in order to satisfy my stomach. But um, yeah, this is the way it goes. So 
Uh, Let's go ahead and we'll get started. I'll be reading God's word to you out of the ESV from uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. And then we'll pick it up at verse 17. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Uh, I I have to apologize. I accidentally uh, pasted the New King James in here. So I'll actually be reading to you uh, the, the New King James rather than the ESV, which we have been in. When I get back to the exegesis of the text will be in ESV, just so you're not confused. So Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, or give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you always, Lord, for your bounty. Uh, Lord, for your goodness, for providing our needs. Lord, and most often, Uh, way beyond that. We just thank you for uh, just how good you are to us. Thank you, Lord, that through this time of, of, um, of the lockdown and the quarantine and, and all this social distancing, Lord, that you have been faithful to abide with us, uh, to grant us fellowship with your spirit and in limited numbers, uh, fellowship with one another. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that that would open up and that we could Um, expand all of those things that uh, we wouldn't just have fellowship with your spirit but Lord as you intended that the whole body uh, would be together in what we call koinonia and Lord we do pray for our missionaries especially Aaron right now as uh, he's experiencing symptoms of um, malaria or dengue Uh, he would know better than me he's had both and uh, but I pray Lord that that whatever is necessary for to treat him uh, under these conditions, whether it be directly by your hand or indirectly by medicine, Lord, we just pray that you'd make that happen so that he can continue to minister to his family, Lord, and the needs of the church there. And so be with them, protect them. Be with Bethany and, and Marcos and Josie and uh, at where they're at in their context, Lord, help them to just minister to those that desperately need you. So sustain them, grant them your grace, Lord, and bless them. And Lord, also as we uh, talk about uh, our text tonight, um, Lord, these are things that we all struggle with at different times and in different contexts. And I pray that you would speak to us from your word authoritatively and uh, that it would impact what is currently going on in our life or what is on the horizon. 
And uh, so just be with us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, uh, return to verse 17, if you would, where Paul says, repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all. Now, in the first line, uh, Paul addresses our natural propensity as sinners, the things that we're inclined to do by nature, uh, which he says should be avoided. And our natural tendency is countered by the second line, uh, by that which we ought to reciprocate for evil, seeing that we're representatives of Jesus. Now, as to the first line, we're not to repay evil with evil or uh, reciprocate it in any form. Now, you know, Paul is compelled, I believe, to address this, not because there's any particular situation that he's uh, speaking to uh, about what has happened in the Roman church, uh, but just because uh, Paul knows people just like he knows himself. Uh, We looked at an example from Paul's own life from Acts 23 when he was standing there before the high priest and after Paul had spoken an affirmation of of the, the Christian faith, the high priest had him struck illegally and Paul, instead of taking it like Jesus did when he was struck on the face, Paul actually lashed out against the high priest in calling a divine curse down upon him. He actually returned evil for evil. You see, Paul knew that everyone had the same propensity uh, as everyone else does. And so he knows everyone needs a reminder. You know, we have, we might say, evil on the tip of our tongues like a loaded gun. And for some of us, it's it's not on safety. And it's only held back by a one-ounce trigger uh, that is a, a hair trigger. And all that's required is for us to be bumped the wrong way for the gun to go off. Uh, such as our dignity being slighted, uh, our pride being damaged, our intelligence insulted, our, per, our position perhaps being challenged, our lives uh, inconvenienced, um, our needs ignored, or we're just overlooked for whatever reason. Just about anything could set us off. And then we reciprocate evil, whether it's in thought, uh, it's by our words, our deeds, and even unforgiveness. Uh, Most of us don't think of unforgiveness as being evil, but it really is because it's far from being like God. Uh, It's not just disobedience to Christ, as Paul talks about as in Colossians chapter 3. It assumes that you have been more offended or more wrong than God has and that you have greater uh, reason to withhold forgiveness than God does. It assumes that you are more righteous than God, uh, that your uh, superior justice could not allow forgiveness. Unforgiveness is evil, and it's often behind the more calculated reciprocation of evil. It just helps us plan a deeper evil against someone else. So people have a knack for repaying evil with evil. We just do. Uh, We have a way of getting back at people for what they've done to us. Now, uh, this, I think, becomes very apparent to anyone that's spent any amount of time around small children. You know, it's true, they usually make friends faster than adults do, uh, but they can just as quickly assault a playmate who has slighted them in the smallest degree. Uh, One child will assault another child for withholding the object of their affection. Uh, No provocation is necessary. But if they are provoked, any toy will do as a weapon of vengeance, and they will execute it quickly. 
we are born, uh, all of us, with this illness called might is right, and uh, the end justifies the means as long as I come out on top. We're born with that. Uh, not always, but typically, adults are more self-controlled. Uh, not because they withhold evil from those who injure them, but because they have enough self-control to reciprocate evil at a more opportune time. Adults can be more calculated when they avenge themselves. Uh, uh, when a child is struck, typically, uh, you know, they immediately strike back. But I've seen adults wait for an opportunity to shame someone publicly because they know that shame is really more powerful than a punch to the face. Sometimes getting even is not enough. The opposition must be decimated. Now, when I was a senior in high school, and before I was a Christian, mind you, I shamelessly took vengeance on another guy in my school by shaming him in front of the entire school body, the uh, student body. He had done something to me that was actually quite petty, but I thought it was unforgivable. Uh, he, was a, he was quite a bit smaller than me, and so beating him up would not have been satisfying enough, uh, or even fair for that matter. So when I had the opportunity, I shamed him beyond recovery. Uh, the nature of, of what landed in my position, my possession, was of the most private nature, which I then published immediately after first period. And by the end of third period, every soul in the school knew about it, even the, the, the staff but nothing was said by the school authorities because they also appreciated what I did. In fact, a few days before this, the vice principal told me that he would turn a blind eye if I just happened to teach the kid a lesson out in the school parking lot. And then what made my vengeance a few days later even worse for my heart was the attention that I got from the school body. Everyone loved it, even though it was mean-spirited and evil. I got applauded by the most unsuspecting people. Those I was expecting a, re a rebuke from, they commended me. The only thing that can account for this is everyone's sense of justice being skewed by evil, by sin. The very sins that Christ died for are the ones that we will crucify others for. And I did. And the fact that you are curious about the details demonstrates that our hearts all share the same disease called evil. The story isn't just a sad commentary on my depravity. It reveals the presence of evil in every human heart. And because evil is present in the heart, it must be dealt with and controlled by the Spirit of God. You know, James says that no man is able to control his evil tongue. That is the task of the Holy Spirit as he empowers the believer with self-control. And so without the Holy Spirit, this instruction from Paul, I believe, is quite impossible. But so is the latter half of the verse where Paul says, but give thought to do, not just give thought, but give thought to do, to take action with what is honorable in the sight of all. Paul is calling us to reciprocate something when evil is done to us, but it must be honorable. Other translations say good uh, or right. Now, when this word is used in a moral context, uh, it speaks of that which is morally beautiful, not just acceptable, but morally excellent. Because see, what I did in high school was acceptable to everyone because it appealed to their warped sense of justice, but it was the opposite of morally excellent. If I had been saved at the time and exercised the wisdom of God, it's quite possible that I could have done something honorable 
that would have won the respect of the student body and may have won the heart of the, the guy that I so deeply hurt. You know, the truth is, even though man is corrupted by sin, the image of God is still present with us. So even the unsaved can appreciate things that are honorable, that are noble, and are good. Reciprocating what is good when evil is done to us is really the nature of doing to others what we would have do to them. Notice that Jesus doesn't state it in the negative. He doesn't say, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Now, I would say that that certainly applies in some context, but it's passive in nature. Jesus' Jesus's commandment is, is, a, is it's commission. It's to do something, not an omission to do nothing. Just as Paul is instructing us to do something about evil by paying it back with what is honorable and good in the sight of all. Now, I think a word of caution is necessary here because it appears that Paul is telling us to appeal to popular opinion by doing what everyone would approve of. But Paul isn't saying that we should do what pleases everyone. Could you imagine such a thing? Uh, That's what I did in high school. I did what, what pleased everyone. You know, doing what is honorable may not please everyone at the moment, but that which is honorable can still be recognized by everyone. Their conscience will testify to it, even when they have, would have preferred that we did something else. So what is an honorable response to evil? Well, first, the honorable response is the one that pleases God by being consistent with his, the text of his word and what's consistent with his character. Uh, I don't believe that that's an option for the Christian. He must seek to do what is honorable to God, what pleases him, because we represent him as ambassadors. We must always seek his approval. Second, the honorable response may depend on the situation. And, And I don't really mean situational or circumstantial morality. I'm just saying that the way we respond to evil uh, in, in godly wisdom can be different. Uh, I think there's many examples in scripture uh, to glean from where uh, evil is not reciprocated and good comes out of it. Uh, Paul gives us an example in verse 20, uh, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, Jesus gives a parable, an example of what it is to love your neighbor after that neighbor has shown you nothing but contempt for centuries. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, the story of this Jewish man who was severely beaten and robbed and left for dead on the roadside. Uh, People that passed by, those among his own people who should have helped him, the text says that Jesus says that they abstained, but the one who normally would have cared less for a Jew is the one that cared and provided for the man's needs. The Samaritan went out of his way to help a racist enemy he did what was honorable, actually, in the sight of everyone. Uh, there's many Old Testament examples of this. Uh, King David, he, re- he refused to reciprocate evil on those who tried to kill him. Uh, of course, I think the best examples are when David, he could have killed King Saul, but he spared his life both at En Gedi in 1 Samuel 24 and at the camp of, uh, of, of, of Hakalah in 1 Samuel chapter 26. Two opportunities. And, and I think that when we look at uh, the situation that David was, was in, uh, most people would have said that it would have been okay to kill Saul. 
But David refused. He had opportunities, but he ended up protecting Saul uh, two different times from his own men. So he didn't just uh, not reciprocate evil. He actually protected Saul's life. I think probably the sweetest story of all is when Joseph never reciprocated evil against his brothers for selling him into, sl- for selling him into slavery. But in Genesis chapter 50, uh, the text says that they came to him fearfully uh, and, and it even seems that they fabricated a bogus uh, statement from their father Jacob t- commanding Joseph to be kind to his brothers even though they did that to him. And Joseph seems to be grieved by it. And, and instead of uh, reciprocating evil or taking vengeance on them and having the power to do so, uh, it says that he would provide for them and their little ones. It's a sweet story from the book of Genesis. Uh, there's many more uh, of examples like that in the Old Testament. They're good examples. And I think that we should, uh, when we fall into circumstances where we're tempted to uh, return evil for evil, we should look at all of them and try to glean from them and you may very well find an example uh, that you should apply in your, certain, your, your situation. It'd be helpful to you. Uh, it's a good habit to be in, to look to the scriptures for godly examples. Uh, we obviously have the example from Christ, and um, that's the one that we should strive for. But according to Paul, uh, according to Jesus, evil is never an option for the Christian. Uh, we may only reciprocate what is morally acceptable to God. But then, of course, like Paul, uh, who, has, who actually failed in his own counsel, uh, if we do the same, uh, we should be like Paul. We should repent. And uh, if it's possible, we should be reconciled to the person that we reciprocated evil to. The Lord knows that we're not perfect. Uh, David said that uh, the Lord knows that we are but dust. He knows our frame. He knows that we're, uh, we lack moral strength. And uh, we're going to mess up but we should be quick to repent and uh, to get our feet straight on the path again. Take a look at verse 18. Paul says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know, if Paul is no fool. He knows that there are people who will always be at odds with God's people and under no circumstances will they be at peace with us. That's just reality. So Paul says, if it is possible, if possible, he knows that it may not be. And when it's not possible, I think that's when we have to then say, well, well, then what? Well, on our part, Paul says, it's always peace. It's always peace. And so just as they refuse to be at peace with us, we must refuse to be at odds with them. We must refuse. As God's people, we should have uh, more resolve to be at peace with our enemies than they have to be at war with us. Our only option, according to Paul, is to pursue peace. Now, we've already mentioned in another talk that, uh, that we never make peace if it requires moral or theological compromise. Uh, we should keep pursuing peace on the basis of truth, you know, persuading people of the truth, but we can't agree to disagree or to stand together when morality is skewed or it's being violated. We just can't do that. But neither are we permitted to coerce them to see it our way. That's not helpful either. Uh, That would not be, uh, like as Paul says, as much as depends on you living peaceably with all. 
that would be you forcing them to live peaceably with you, which really is not Christianity. Uh, it might be consistent with a particular era of Puritanism, uh, Islam and the Inquisition, but it's not consistent with the teachings of Christ uh, or, or Paul. It's certainly not uh, a part of their practice. So we never coerce. We only influence as Christians. Verse 19, Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. So just as we are to repay no one evil for evil, the Christian is not to take vengeance on anyone. Paul's saying vengeance is not an option for God's people. The option for God's people is to leave vengeance in the hands of God. And the author quotes Deuteronomy 32 verse 25 to demonstrate that vengeance is actually something that belongs to God. It is his And because vengeance belongs to him, it's not our place to do it for him. So I guess we have to answer the question, what is vengeance? Vengeance is actually punishment. Vengeance is not to be confused with defending oneself or the weak and defenseless from evil. Vengeance is punishing or getting back at someone for some evil done to us. That's vengeance. Now the issue of self-defense, I think, has to be at least addressed a little bit here because the two can be confused for one another and they're not the same. Self-defense is something that is permitted in scripture, but vengeance is not. Self-defense is always permitted, but vengeance is not. And maybe I should be careful about saying that self-defense is always permitted. I'm not sure that it is, but it is permitted in certain circumstances. Now, the When I think of these two things, uh, I think of the ways that I define them to my children. Uh, Self-defense is when you try to stop someone who is actively trying to injure you or take your life and you cannot get away. That's self-defense. This would be the same if you were defending or protecting someone else in the same position. So if someone comes at you with the obvious intent to harm or kill you, you may defend yourself with equal force. That's biblical. But if you can't escape, I think the scriptures would also say that you should escape, evade, and then find some help. Now, uh, Isaac, my 14-year-old, who I'm very proud of, uh, he got to put this to practice last summer uh, when he was at home all by himself. Uh, One afternoon, a loud, uh, aggressive man entered our house through the back door, shouting and making all kinds of noise. Uh, By the time he had gotten into the house, uh, Isaac had strung his bow in preparation for an encounter. But instead, he fled the moment that he had an opportunity to exit the house another way. And then he ran to the neighbor's house and he called the police. Now, Isaac could have turned the guy into a pincushion, but instead, he chose to flee, which I think was better for everyone. Uh, There there was no blood to clean up on my wife's floor. There was no funeral. There was no investigation. There was no conflict in Isaac's heart for injuring someone or killing them. I think it was a win-win. And hopefully the guy learned his lesson before things uh, don't work in his favor. But if Isaac had been cornered with no way of escape, I would expect him to meet the man's intent with equal force, especially if his mother or his younger siblings were present or anyone as defenseless as little ones might be. 
That would be self-defense. And it's not to be confused with vengeance. Vengeance is when you get back at someone after they've done something evil to you. That is, after they've done something evil, turn their back on you, and then you shoot them in the back. The example I give to my children is this. If someone were to drive past our house and throw a rock through our front window, vengeance would be grabbing the rock, following them to their house, giving their rock back to them through their front window. That would be vengeance. That's, that's returning evil for evil. That's getting back at someone. And Paul says, it's just not Christian. This is not what we do. Self-defense, or the defense of the weak and the helpless, is something that often God has put into our hands. God has ordained it. But vengeance, it just belongs to God. And if we really believe that God is just and that he's thorough in his justice, we'll leave it to him. I mean, there's nothing that we could possibly do that would compare to the administration of his justice and wrath. So leave it to him. Let him handle it. And trust me, you're not nearly as outraged as he is. Paul says that the hard and unrepentant person is storing up wrath for themselves for the day of God's wrath. They're storing it up. The whole lifetime of wrath is being stored up, Romans 2, 5. And something that I think we should all consider is that God poured out his wrath on his own son in order to provide atonement and forgiveness for everyone else. And so what do you think he'll do to those who reject his son's sacrifice? He will take vengeance on them and his wrath will be just. It will be just. I think James is the one that says that the wrath of God never, or the wrath of man never produces the righteousness of God. We should beware of doing that. Verse 20, Paul says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. So Paul is saying, rather than concerning yourself with vengeance, Paul says, capitalize on your enemy's misfortune. Now, he's not saying hope for it. He's saying that when it comes, capitalize on it. So if your enemy is ever put in a situation where they cannot provide for their own needs, you have an opportunity to soften their hearts through mercy and hospitality, which is a very powerful way to influence someone for Christ. God will use you as the instrument of his kindness, uh, his forbearance and patience in order to lead that person to repentance. I think it's important that we all remember that we were all once the enemies of God, all of us. And God used his son and the proclamation of the gospel to make us his children. Paul says that when we were at our worst, that is, as the enemies of God, God gave us his best by having Christ die for our sins, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. So when we show kindness to an enemy, we are just a former enemy of God trying to win a current enemy of God. And I believe it's something we should be eager to do. I think it's a sweet privilege that we have. Former enemies of God trying to win the current enemies of God. In fact, I believe that we should pray that God would give us opportunities to serve our enemies in this way. Pray for it. You know, God produce a circumstance in their life that would enable me to influence them for you. Pray for them. Pray for the opportunity. If your heart's not right in it, then you need to pray for the right heart. And then pray for opportunity. And then Paul says that by doing this, 
by serving our enemies when they're in need, he says, we would heap, heap burning coals on their head. It's an interesting statement. Uh, it actually comes from a quotation in Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 through 22. And if you've read commentaries on it, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about what it means and, and what it looked like historically, but the reality is nobody knows. Uh, we don't know its origin. Uh, it, it, as far as we know, it could have come from Egypt. There seems to be a, a slight um, a phrase in Egyptian that looks sort of like this statement, but it could have been something that was uh, across the whole East. Uh, we just don't know. And uh, we don't know what it looks like to heat burning coals on someone's head. Some people have speculated that uh, your neighbor's fire, who's your enemy, has gone out. And uh, so what they would do is they would come to you pleading with you to give them uh, live coals from your fire, put it in an earthen vessel, and then they would carry it back to their home on their head so that they can start their fire. Uh, I don't think that is even close to what Paul is talking about because he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing that, by feeding them and giving something to drink, you will heap burning coals on their head. Uh, one, it's causative. So I don't think it's related to that at all. Uh, other people think uh, all kinds of things. I don't even think it's worth getting into. Too many strong opinions, and, and there's no basis really for any of them. But I do think that the idea seems to be clear which is if you come to someone's rescue after they've done you evil, it will make them feel bad for mistreating you and will actually soften their hearts toward you, which will then give you opportunity uh, to minister to them, to reach them, to influence them for Christ. Let's finish up with verse 21. Paul concludes the chapter by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with Good. Interesting. Paul says Christians are not permitted to be overcome by evil, but are required to overcome evil with good. It's an interesting statement. So I, I think we should ask and answer the question, what does it mean to be overcome by evil, and what does it mean to overcome evil with good? Well, context is king. Being overcome by evil in this context would mean perpetuating evil. Cursing those who persecute you, verse 14. Repaying evil for evil, verse 17. And taking vengeance on an enemy, verse 19. When a Christian does any of those things, they have been overcome by evil. They've reproduced it in their own life. They become subject to it. But overcoming evil with good in the context would be blessing. And as we talked about, that means to speak well of those who persecute you. Verse 14, giving thought to doing what is honorable, verse 17, and providing for your enemy's needs, verse 20. That is what Paul means by overcoming evil with good. Easily said, not always easy, but always possible uh, with the grace of God. If you have enemies, uh, pray for the grace of God. Enemies are not easy. They're just difficult and um, I would ask God for creative ways uh, to win them, to reach them. Uh, but I think above all things, uh, we should always be ready uh, to do uh, the opportunity that God gives us. We should be ready for that. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, um, I know that I've had my fair share of 
uh, enemies. I've certainly had my fair share of critics and people that have attacked my, uh, my integrity, my position, uh, the little authority that I do have. Um, and I have, I have certainly not always dealt uh, with them as I ought. I've been overcome by evil. But Lord, there have been times where I've overcome evil with good and it's been very sweet. And um, it's, it's a testimony, Lord, to the power of um, doing good to those that have sinned against you. And, um, and so, Lord, I, I know that um, uh, people that are listening to me tonight, they have enemies. Uh, I've talked with them. And they've struggled with people, and understandably so. And some are struggling, and others are gonna struggle with people. And, and so I pray, Lord, that um, we would be humble enough to cry out for your grace. And, uh, and Lord, that we would be quick to forgive. And instead of reciprocating evil, that we would be quick to pray for opportunity. Lord, that we might be your instrument of mercy, of hospitality. And because, uh, Lord, it, how evil it would be for us to desire that you take vengeance on people in eternity when you have extended forgiveness to us. So Lord, help us to be your agents to recover those uh, that are really your enemies. And uh, so help us, we pray. And Lord, I just thank you for your grace and your goodness. Pray that it would be more and more evident in our lives. And uh, especially, Lord, as the days move forward in our current context. And Lord, above all else, may our conduct be honoring and glorifying to you, Lord. So we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everyone. Uh, thank you for um, tuning in to God's word. And uh, just pray for God's blessing upon you. We love you. Amen. Good night.